Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. What is up? Welcome to the show. This is Having a Blast. I'm your host, Kyle. Today, I'm extremely excited to be speaking with someone that I've wanted to have on the show since its inception, really. Today, I'm talking to my buddy, Ross, otherwise known or more famously known as DJ Ross Star with three S's. DJ Ross Star has been interviewing bands well before podcasts were cool, so I got to give him credit where credit is due. He did a live show interviewing bands. It was called DJ Ross Star's Punk Rock Show, starting all the way back in the year 2002, so the year I graduated high school. He's interviewed some of my favorite bands, some of your favorite bands as well. Fallout Boy, Motion City Soundtrack, Less Than Jake, Sugar Colt, The Get Up Kids from my hometown, Seosin, Say Anything, and on and on and on. Ross is also what I would consider to be a Green Day super fan. He is incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to the band, so I was stoked to talk to him about one of my favorite bands of all time. And today we're breaking down their classic and monumental behemoth of a record, American Idiot. We talk about Ross's experiences with the album, the shows he attended during that time, the insider info. He mentions some things that I was not aware of, and I consider myself to be a pretty massive Green Day fan. So this is a lot of fun speaking with him. I really appreciate Ross's time. He had such thoughtful answers, and this is such a fun conversation. It was so easy to edit, and I really loved listening back. So without further ado, please enjoy this American Idiot idiot filled conversation with my buddy DJ Rostar. live now? I don't remember. I work in Kansas City, so I'm in Kansas City currently, and I live in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about 45 minutes away from here. Okay. And they, growing up going to shows and things, there's always shows in Kansas City, but there's yeah. always shows in Lawrence too. That's an area where there's a bunch of venues. So a lot of times people, they get them mixed up because they think it's the same thing, and it yeah. kind of is. Well, the only two bands I really liked from around there were the the Gadgets, Ska Band, and then the Get Up yeah. Kids, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still talk to Brandon, the singer of the Gadgets. Yeah, yeah, I, I do sometimes. I see him on Facebook a lot. I, you know, I try to keep up with what he's doing, but I'll always like the ska the best. For oh what yeah, he did. For, at least for what he did. I thought that was like he was really like a master songwriter at that kind of music. But I mean, you know, obviously, eventually they probably got bored of it not taking off. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. The Gadgets. That was one of the first local shows I ever went to. I went to see them play with another ska band called Bruska Bank. Awesome. And. I was probably 13. I was really young, but it was a blast. Me and my friends, we were such big fans of that band. And that was one of yeah. the first bands I got to know because I lived in New York and whenever they play New York or 
New Jersey, I'd go and, you know, no offense, but there was no one there really. So I got to meet them, you know, there'd be like five people there, seven people. So they played at a record store for free on Long Island. We were literally the only people there. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That was like 99. Actually, the Ataris played in the same store in 99 and there was also nobody there before they were big too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Kind of hard to believe too, because I remember around that time the ataris were really big in the underground i'd go to a show and there'd be at least three or four people there wearing atari shirts they were like the cool yeah. band for a second this was like before i think blue skies it was like when they have the anywhere but here so really unknown i was always i don't know i always just found bands the old school way you know warp tour and thank you notes and other people's records that, or magazines i just got lucky and i found all these cool bands growing up before there was the internet yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same here. The other way I discovered bands was usually through compilation CDs. Yeah, yeah, Punkorama. And oh yeah, yeah, Punkorama was a staple, and then all the Fat Wreck compilation yep. CDs. I was a big fan of. Well, okay, so Green Day. I'm really excited to talk to you regarding this yeah. because I've followed you for a long time. I watched your show, obviously, back in the early 2000s. I think I was turned on. I think the first time I saw you interview a band, it might have been Punchline back wow. in the early 2000s, maybe 2005. That's but great. Yeah, it was cool. And then I watched you interview a lot of bands sort of in the same scene that my second band was in, The American Life, because that's when the neon pop punk was really taking off. And you had bands like Valencia and bands like Hit the Lights and All Time Low and you were always interviewing the bands that I was listening to at the time. So that was always fun. So this is kind of a thrill. It's funny how things work and come full circle. Yeah, I uh, I mean, there were two reasons that I started my show. One reason was because I was tired of watching bands I liked get interviewed on MTV and having to answer the same questions. And also because I had wanted to hopefully build up enough of a reputation where one day I would be able to interview Green Day. And that didn't technically happen Although I did kind of sabotage Mike Durnt meet and greet and got my interview guerrilla style. And that is on YouTube right now. You just look up Raw Star Green Day and my interview with Mike is on there. So yeah. I technically didn't even need to do a show for all those years. I could have just went to that meet and greet and asked him a bunch of questions. <laughs> but either way, I got to interview, like you said, a whole bunch of cool bands for 15 years and I still had a great time doing it. But yeah, definitely Green Day was one of the two reasons why I started that show. And I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to admit that, but I'm glad I at least got to interview Mike. That makes perfect sense. And I've seen that video and it's really impressive the amount of information Information that you're able to spit back at him about all of his side projects and things over the years. Oh, yeah. I think even he was impressed, right? I think so. I, I feel like he's probably also sick of being asked the same questions also anyway. So it was probably refreshing to have something different thrown at him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had ever interviewed any of those guys. I knew you had interviewed Mike, but I didn't know if you had ever interviewed Billy or Trey before. No, I, uh, I've had two real, I'll call it real, conversations with Billy Joe in person, meaning more than just, hi, can I have a picture again? You know, like a couple minutes here and there, but was never able to just sit down and have a real conversation on record, but it's okay because yeah, maybe someday. I had the experiences and, I, and, you know, I can tell people that I did it and tell them what we talked about, but you know, the mic interview is good because there's a lot of deep information there. Yeah, absolutely. And plus it was documented, right? You can watch it again, which is cool. Have you ever had yeah. an actual conversation with Trey? No, he's hard to have a conversation with. He's always just on the run. I mean, yeah. I've met him twice and 
high by. He's just always off to do the next thing. Yeah. And he strikes me, I don't want to be insensitive, but he almost strikes me as somebody that might have ADHD. He's just yeah, very, sure. very scattered and difficult to maybe concentrate when things are heightened, like before a show or after a show or something. So I was curious yeah. if you had ever had a conversation with him. No, I had him do my voice message in like 2001, maybe, but my parents didn't like it because he, he used the B word in the voice ah. message. But I didn't care because it was straight cool. So I had that as my voice now for like a year. And then I finally changed it. So I, I had him do that. That was pretty cool. That's amazing. 2001, yeah. no less. That's great. I don't yeah, know if yeah. I had a cell phone then. Yeah, that's rad. Well, that was when I had to call, I had to call my own phone number on the cell phone. And then, you know, you press the passcode and then you can re-record your message. That's what we had to do. Yeah, I remember that. Man. Really old geez. school. Hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Two decades oh, yeah. passed since then. Yeah, it's nuts. Whoa. <laughs> Drop my mouse. I'm literally, I've got my mouse on the couch that I'm That's on here. I was mentioning mouse. it earlier. This room right here, this is the owner of the movie theater. My personal training space were linked to a local movie theater. And right behind my personal training space is this office. And the gentleman who owns the theater, he's a younger guy. He's really into movies and stuff, but he does podcasts out of this room. I've never done a podcast in this room. I'm usually doing it at my house, but I'm actually going yeah. to a show and the venue is right next door. So I figured I would do the interview here and then just pop right over the venue. Aaron Gillespie from Under Oath, he's playing an acoustic show right next door. Cool. Yeah. yeah so that should be cool. I like doing these kind of guest appearances to talk about Green Day. I've had people say all the time, still, why don't you do a Green Day podcast? And I said, you know, after I went through the 13 records and if I, even if I did every side project, then what? I'd, get, I'd have nothing else to talk about. So I'd rather just every once in a while make an appearance somewhere. Yeah, dude. No, I appreciate you doing it because I think if anybody should be on a podcast talking about Green Day, it's you because I know you're a super fan like myself. I've been yeah. a massive Green Day fan for 26, 27 years now. Ever since I heard Basket Case for the first time at midnight on MTV, you know, staying up late when I was 10 years old. And that's yeah, still my favorite wait. record <laughs> of all time. Dookie is still just the record that I continuously go back to. And I just always tell people that's my favorite record of all time. So I always I appreciate it. it when I see people who recognize the brilliance that is Green Day and the specialness that is Green Day. So I appreciate yeah. you doing this. I'm on all the different Facebook groups for Green Day. And I don't care if you just became a fan yesterday. I still think that's awesome. Yeah. I don't think I'm better than anybody else because I've had all these experiences or because I've been a fan for 27 years. But personally, I haven't met anybody in real life that's been a fan since before 1994. So all my friends have been fans of Green Day the same time I have 1994. So it's cool for us to be able to tell stories to people that are younger, but I'm sure there's got to be at least somebody out there that saw them in 92 or 93 or 91, but I don't know yeah. if they still, go I don't know if they are actively still going to their concerts. Like I am, you know, I watched those, right. those videos on YouTube concerts from like 1990 and there's like people in the front row and they know every word to every song. And I'm like, well, where are they now? Do they still yeah. go see them 31 years later? Or do they not care anymore? But it's 27 years later for me and I'd still care and I'd still love to talk about this. That's actually a really good point. I think there's probably still people who are still fans, but maybe they don't necessarily go to the shows or they're not super fans. I think there would be a source of pride in saying, oh yeah, I saw Green Day in 91 now, yeah. you know, just to see the trajectory of how big they became and how culturally relevant they became. I do know this is going on a side tangent. 
Sure. I'll make it quick, but there's one person that I know in town. His name's Terry Taylor, and he's well known within the Kansas City scene because he books shows and he worked for a production company for many years, almost two decades. And before he lived in Kansas City, I think he came from Seattle. And he, every once in a while, he will post old flyers of shows that he booked when he was younger. I think he's in his mid 40s now and he's in the health field. For many years, he was in the music industry. He booked these shows early on. He booked shows for Neurosis in Seattle. He booked shows for the Mr. T experience, oh, all yeah. those lookout bands and then Green Day as well. And the last time I saw Green Day in Kansas City, he was there. So I think he still considers himself a fan. That's great. Yeah. So he's the one person I know that knew Green Day before Dookie. That's the thing is maybe ever since American Idiot era, we'll talk about this. I've met a lot of people that are older than me, but they haven't been a fan as long as me. Or maybe they have, but always the same amount of time. So just because yeah. I'll meet somebody that's 50 plus, they still didn't really listen to Green Day till 2009. So I'm always on the quest to meet somebody like your friend or the guy you know that actually has been a fan for like 30 plus years. I think that would be cool to meet yeah. somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe I'll hear their the stories. Yeah, to hear yeah. their stories that even predate mine. He said that they were booking at a venue that was very similar to Gilman. It was just a small, crusty punk place, you know, and probably housed 100 people. And they would just pack that place and book shows there. And people would come up from the upper West Coast and things like that. So he's got some stories for sure. Well, you mentioned Dookie is your favorite record of all time. My favorite record of all time is American Idiot. And that's why I'm here today to talk to you. So let's get talking about it. Yeah, dude, let's do it. Awesome. So do you remember the first time you heard Green Day? It was 1994. Mm -hmm. I was 11. I don't remember like the day, but I watched MTV all the time growing up. Mm -hmm. I watched every music video. I would record the songs I liked on my tape recorder. So I could listen to it on my Walkman. So I remember seeing the Longview video. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm not going to claim it was the day it premiered, but I saw the video and okay. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I said really? I said, first of all, I don't understand anything that this guy is saying. And I also said, I've never heard a British band before. <laughs> and back then, a lot of people agreed with me. We all thought he was British. And looking yeah. back on it, it sounds kind of silly. But at the time, that's what we thought. We had never heard somebody sing in that kind of voice before. So I didn't like it, believe it or not. It took three or four times until I said, wow, this is actually really cool. And then I started watching interviews on MTV with them. And I just really, really liked their personalities. They were just really silly, really fun. And, you know, to an 11 year old who grew up loving comedians and comedy films and shows, like I used to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse, Pee Wee Herman. It kind of mm -hmm. reminded me of the music, you know, like they kind of reminded me of Pee Wee Herman in a way, like the musician version of Pee Wee Herman. They were just yeah. really fun. And I was used to watching all these really serious music videos. And here they are, you know, being crazy on the couch. And there's a monkey in the video and they're playing in like the little corner of the room. I just thought it was really fun. And then I just, from there, I just kept listening to the song. And then I went out and, and I just, right from that moment, something triggered in my head where I went from, I don't like this to this is the best thing ever. Okay, cool. And it definitely ushered in a new era of fun music because you're right. Before that, the grunge era was exploding for a four-year period. And it was a lot of what my friends and I have coined as heroin rock. So it was a little bit okay. more downer music, a little bit more minor chord progressions and things like that. And all the videos were scary and I remember the Black Hole Sun video. They were playing that a lot around that time. And that's kind of an yeah. eerie, creepy Everything's video. Everything's just really depressing back then, you know? Yeah. All those yeah. videos, dark and imagery then, and, and slow and depressing and animals. And I don't know. There yeah. was just something about it. So I was lucky. I told my mom, I want to go get this, this album. This is a cool story. 
So we went to the local record store on Long Island. So this was not like going to Tower Records. This was a, a cool little store. I don't know how my mom found this. And we went into the store and I said, I want to buy the new Green Day album. And they said, which Green Day album? And I said, well, what do you mean? The one. A lot of people back in 94 thought they had one album. I did mm-hmm. too. So he said, oh, Green Day have three albums. I said, what? There's no way. So he brought me to the section and I said, okay, I want 1039 on cassette. I want Kerplunk on cassette and I want Dookie on cassette. And my mom bought me all three. I went home and I played the heck out of those cassette tapes. None of my friends believed me that they had two other albums, but I refused to bring them to school because I was so afraid that they were going to get stolen from me by other Green Day fans. So (laughs) this went on for like five, six months, literally, until people finally started catching on that I wasn't lying and they really did have previous records besides Dookie, before Dookie. So Mm -hmm. I got lucky because while all my friends were obsessing over, you know, 14 tracks, I was obsessing over like 40 tracks. So mm-hmm. it really like, you know, I was really immersed in that world way beyond what, really cool. my, what my friends were, you know, with the, with the one album yeah. I had. Very cool. That's right. Yeah. I have a similar story. I bought the other two records as well. I'm thankful I did because I didn't really understand the discrepancy in recording. So I just loved them all. I was really... Yeah obsessed with all three records and me too even now when i listen to 1039 or kerplunk it just takes me right back to being a kid it just yep. i give gives me those similar feels so that's really cool did you notice the discrepancy the recording i mean obviously dookie sounded better but i don't think i understood the sonic difference you know the fact no, that I, I i had a walkman and i i, don't, I was i don't know if you did you buy a cassette or cd cassettes to start. And then those were the first three CDs that I bought. I had cassettes for quite a while. I didn't really get into the CD thing until uh, Nimrod actually. Okay. So I didn't really notice the difference, but I will tell you, my friend had Dookie on CD and we were listening to it in his room, you know, months and months after I listened to the cassette Mm -hmm. and I would always just stop after FOD, but he had the CD playing and we were on the ground doing something else and all by myself came on and we were both freaking out. Cause all this time we didn't know there was like another track, you know, the secret track. So that was yeah. like a cool experience together to like find out about that before there's the internet to let you know. Yeah. It's like a nice surprise, but it, you almost feel like you're in the know somehow, you know, it's like, special. yeah, no, that, I, I definitely was happy that I had those records early on you know, and had a lot of content to listen to all at once. Yeah. And then you saw them play pretty shortly after that, right? Did you see them in concert or when was the first time you saw them live? So I got the album probably early 94 March or April, maybe. They did Woodstock. And that kind of mm-hmm. made them superstars overnight. They had the Jaded in Chicago MTV special, which is probably still my favorite thing they've ever done on television. And it all was leading up to the end of the year for me. I got to see them play at Nassau Coliseum in New York. It was December 2nd, 1994. I was 12. So my mom and dad wow. took me, of course. We were in the seats. We were definitely high up, maybe section 300. And I was really upset when Billy Joe demanded that everybody jump over into the, you know, onto the floor and fill up the pit because they wouldn't let me go. But, you know, obviously it was the great day. I'm not going to pretend like I remember anything. I feel like when you're 12, you know, I'm like 39. I don't remember any details at all about the show. Besides, you know, when I watch it back on YouTube, I can kind of remember what happened, you know. And then I got to see them the following year for the Insomniac tour at the same exact venue in 1995. And similar thing, I have the recording of it on cassette, you know, bootleg cassette, but I don't really remember anything technically about it, you know. Plus, that was in section 300. So, like, I'm looking at a bunch of ants, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what is there to, what is there really to, but what is there really to remember? I couldn't really see anything, you know. Yeah. 
That's cool though. I mean, you were young to see them so soon after that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, if, only, if, if I was a little bit older and a little bit more like in the know, they did play in New York city in March when they released Dookie. That was at Irving Plaza. But I mean, I, I was like 11. I couldn't go back then. I, I had no clue they were playing a concert there. It's cool that they were playing Irving Plaza. I love that venue. Was the first time you met Green Day? Was that in Warp Tour 2000? Because I've seen those photos of you backstage with them. Oh yeah. I look like older then than I do now, I think. Um, <laughs> so back in the day, Warp Tour, they didn't really have a lot of security like they did in the later years. So the, I went to three Warp Tours. The first day, this girl, Dana, who we all knew, was like a year older than me. She was like, you know, all the bands liked her. You know, she was like a year older than us. So she was like 18 when we were 17. So I was with her and she was like, oh, let's just go backstage and try to get you to meet Green Day. And I said, I never broke the rules growing up. I still don't. So are you sure like, we're going to get kicked out? She said, no, they're not. What are they going to do? Tell us to go back out. So we walked back there and we ran into Mike in like five seconds. I couldn't believe it. So he was nice. He took a photo with me. And then that was really it for that day. So the next day was Warp Tour in New York. And then I went with my friend Shy and my friend Ito. So I said, hey, guys, yesterday or whatever it was, two days ago, I sucked backstage. It was really easy. Let's try to do it again. So once again, we just walked back there. There was no guard like there was, you know, later on at Warp Tour. And so if you've ever been backstage at Warp Tour, fans have tents and the tents mm -hmm. usually have their name on them. So you know whose tent is whose. So we looked and we found the Green Day tent. So we went over there and Timmy Chunks, who's a legend in the punk scene, he was uh, Billy Joe's guitar tech for many, many years. And he was just chilling back there. This is another time where I don't really remember a lot, but he was really nice. You know, he knew that we were young, that we were big fans. And he said, look, hang out here. Like, don't worry. Like, you know, I'll make sure you guys don't get kicked out or anything. I don't know why he was so nice to a bunch of kids. So we got to uh, meet the band. Like, you know, I have those pictures I'll post on Instagram every so often throwbacks. We met Billy, Mike, Trey, not really a lot said, you know, really quick. Hey, can I have a picture? I was like so young and just, I couldn't believe what was happening, honestly. So sure. uh, we got to meet them. And, and the only bummer was that a couple of our other friends snuck backstage too. And when Green Day went on stage to perform, a couple of my friends managed to get in the crowd to watch on stage. But of course mm -hmm. me, I get picked out by security with my two friends to have to go back out to the crowd. So my yeah. friends who didn't really care about Green Day at all got to watch on stage and I had to go back in the crowd. But oh, it was okay because I, you know, that was like, Meeting them was more important to me at the time than just watching on the side of the stage where you can barely hear anything anyway, you know? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I was in a band called Game Time back in the early 2000s, and we were actually lucky enough to play when I turned 18 in 2002. So we spent a lot of time backstage, usually trying to find catering so that we could get some water and some Gatorade or something just so we didn't overheat and get too dehydrated to the point where we died just out on the concrete. But yeah, oh, okay. I remember... I remember all the setups and everything, all the vans and all the buses and them setting up like makeshift. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of like Florida where everybody's just trying to stay out of the heat. <laughs> oh yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. And you guys were brave too, to go back there. That was every, that was all them. I was always afraid of, of, of rule breaking, but that I just, you know, when it came to green day, I was willing to try the second day after the first day worked out so easily, you know? Yeah. So easily you guys met Mike just as soon as you went back there. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. That's a great story. Yeah. And there was pretty lax security. And I think it was because they would outsource and they'd have different people working the gates at every single warp tour. So it was loose in and out of there. You know, I think there was times yeah. where I wasn't even playing, but I would have an old laminate attached to my keys or something and i just walk yeah. in and out of the gates and stuff no I, and of course you know two years later i started my show and then for the next 10 plus years i did i always had a pass and then green day never played warp tour again so it didn't matter <laughs> you know, yeah like, i saw him I in 2000 
Yeah. I saw him in 2000 as well. And yeah. that's kind of a crazy year to look back on the fact that no doubt was on warp tour. Green day was on warp tour. It was just unbelievable. It was almost, I remember yeah, seeing no- green day on that tour and they had one of the biggest warp tour crowds I think I'd ever seen. And yeah. they had stopped coming to Kansas city for a couple of years. So we had to go to Minneapolis. So I went to Minneapolis to see it in 2000. I just remember there was this gigantic inflatable penis floating uh-huh. through the crowd during their set. Yeah. So good times <laughs> moving towards American idiot. Cause that's what we're highlighting oh, yeah. today. No, we're here. What was your perception of green day in 2001 and 2002? Because I remember vividly listening to warning, but recognizing that it maybe wasn't as of a commercial success, maybe previous albums had been. And in hindsight, we know that as a fact now it barely got a gold yeah. record. Do you remember thinking about what they might be up to around that time? 2001 to 2002. All right. So, okay. So between 1998 and 2004, everybody would say to me, you still listen to Green Day? It was so old news at that point. They were so old news. It was all about Blink, Sum 41, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, all that stuff. Kid Rock, Korn, all the time. Why you still like, are they even a band? I would say, yeah, they're a band. I just don't really know what they're up to right now. So 2001, they did uh, Super Hits mm-hmm. and then... 2002 was pop disaster after and, pop and shenanigans disaster, too. Yeah, and shenanigans after pop disaster i was a little worried i did think you know they're opening for blink they're putting out a greatest hits record is this it you know like mm-hmm. what if this is it i didn't love warning i'm still not a super fan of warning it's very 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 trendy now in the green day community to say that's your favorite album mm-hmm. it is maybe some people feel that way I don't think everyone believes that, but they say it. Yeah. It wasn't for, it wasn't my favorite. I like pop punk. That's my thing, you know? So they would do uh, on the greenday.net site, if you remember that. Every so often they would call in really horrible technology. They would leave yeah. voice messages to update you what they were doing. I think Billy Joe, he did a couple songs through the phone. They did a couple Christmas covers, full band. Sounds terrible. You can still find it on YouTube. He did a cover really? of, uh, he did a cover of Travis's uh, Why Does It Always Rain On Me? Really good. And they would do little updates here and there. So they let you know that like they were still working on stuff, but it did seem like, you know, when there's really no big internet at the time, it seems like time is going really slow. Like you don't have any updates forever, you know? And then uh, yeah. as you got closer to like 2003, I remember they, po- they did post some studio photos that are still on the internet. There was one of Billy Joe shaving Mike's head to give him like a mohawk. And then there was another of like him and Jason in the studio, I think, or like mm-hmm. in a kitchen or something, working on something. So what happened was, Trying to think of what else happened back then. 2003, Live Freaky, Die Freaky came out. That claymation movie that John Roker made. And Billy Joe, we know, was the, the voice of the main character. And he recorded a song for the soundtrack, Mechanical Man. And still, I didn't know what they were really doing. I said, okay, they're doing little things here and there, but are they doing Green Day? And then I know Mike Durant appeared in a Me First and the Gimme Gimme's music video. It's kind of mm-hmm. random. A lot of people don't know about that. But not yeah, a lot. I remember that. Not a lot was going on. So then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 2003, they posted on Greenie.net about the Network album, and they were like, "Oh, Adeline Records just released this new album by a band called the Network. We suggest you check it out." So I said, "Okay, that's weird." Greenie never really posted about Adeline bands. That was just on the Adeline site. So I listened to it, and of course, immediately I knew it was Billy Joe singing. You know, at the time, I didn't know if the Network was all of Green Day or just him. But I was like, "Wow!" Like, oh my God, this is something, you know, this is like not Pinhead Gunpowder. This is like a new side project. So the network record came out and that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, I didn't live in California yet. So I didn't get to see them play at the Key Club. They did one show there and they filmed it for the DVD they released, The Network Diseases Punishment. 
Mm-hmm. And then after that, yeah, after the, the network, they disappeared for most of 2004. There was one thing that they did that there were some photos online. Billy Joe performed with Camp Freddy, which was like Dave Navarro's thing they would do in Hollywood. Like a bunch of different musicians would jump on stage and do covers together. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the summer of 2004 when out of nowhere, it seems, boom, here's a new single and a new album coming out in weeks, you know? Yeah. American Idiot, like out of nowhere. Yeah. Okay. So that leads me to another question that I was going to ask. Is that the first song that you heard? I was in the car for summer break on Long Island and we were listening to the radio and I heard half the song. Like okay. we put on, we put on K-Rock and it was half over. So I called the radio station instead of listening to the end, I called immediately. And I said, is this a new Green Day song? And they said, yeah. And I said, when are you going to play it again? And they said, right now. So they aired that me talking about it and then they played it again. And I sat there <laughs> I sat there just completely silent, like freaking out in my head. And then when it, when it was done, I remember my friend Austin, who was he's a fan, he knows all the albums, but he's not like a big fan. He said, oh, sounds like every other Green Day song. That was his answer. And I said, it's not that it doesn't sound like other Green Day songs, but it sounds like they're back. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like the Green Day that I know, whereas Warning yeah. was a complete departure. It sounded like they were back, you know? Yeah, and fully in, charged. In full, in, in full force. And I, yeah. and, I, and I forgot to look this up, but I'm pretty sure a couple of weeks before that single was released, Rock Against Bush came out with Favorite Son. So that was like mm-hmm. the first newish Green A song that we had heard in a while, even though that was technically a B-side, you know? But Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. So between that song and American Idiot, I said, wow, this Green A is back in my mind. And so I, I just, I was couldn't believe it, you know? And then they just kept playing the song and the video came out, which was really cool. And yeah, everybody was so impressed how, you know, Billy Joe shed the pounds and they had a new look and everything. And this is where our conversation begins, you know, day one of American Idiot. Yeah. So going back just a little bit, I went to the Pop Disaster Tour and we have something in common there where we were both pulled up on stage to play Operation Ivy's Knowledge, the cover that they have been doing now for 20 plus years. Yeah. And the first thing that I noticed when he came out was the fact that he looked great. He looked like he, I don't know. He just looked healthier. He looked more vibrant. He was yeah. really into it. They sounded great. And it was interesting because they played right before Blink, but they just sounded incredible standing in front of them. It's sort of like an out-of-body experience at this point. When I tell the yeah. story, it's almost like I'm looking at it from above or something. I feel oh, yeah. like it happened to somebody else. But I remember when I saw him at first, that was the first thing I noticed. Oh, he looks like he's in a healthier place at the very least here. And that was two years prior to American Idiot coming out. Yeah. The first time I heard American Idiot, that was the first song that I heard. And I was actually driving back from New York. This is kind of random, but do you remember the Tooth and Nail band Waking Ashland? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So I was driving out there to New York. My band had just broken up and somebody told me that they were looking for another touring guitar player. So I was actually driving out there to try out for their band. And ultimately it didn't work out, but I was driving back. And as I was driving back, I was literally fumbling through radio stations. You know, I get to a new town and I have to find a new rock radio station or whatever because that was the only thing yeah. that i could listen to and i remember hearing american idiot on the way back in oh, the first time the first time yeah yeah for the very first time and i thought man you know i thought the exact same thing you did i was like okay they're clearly going back to distorted guitars anthemic choruses they're getting away from bob dylan singer songwriter acoustic stuff and yeah. moving back into punk rock but it felt a little bit more 
I don't know, for lack of a better word, it felt like just bigger in every sense. It felt arena. It had an arena rock quality to it. The recording sounded great. Going back just a little bit, I remember hearing rumors that they were going to do a punk rock opera. You know, they were uh, doing their play on a rock opera. That was what I was reading on the message boards from the greenday.net, but also absolutepunk.net. There was some yeah. hype being generated about the album. Do you remember hearing hype before you initially heard American Idiot? I don't remember in detail. I was on Green A Community all the time. So it's it's possible that people were talking about that on there. Okay. But I don't remember details about it. I just remember where I was when I heard the song. And then 2004. So I had a, so Green A for American Idiot, they hired an outside company at Reprise at Warner to do the street team marketing. Mm-hmm. And I had known the guy in charge of that company, just because, you know, from my show, whatever. So a couple of weeks before the album came out, he took me in his car with a buddy of his. And he said, look, I have a five song sampler. He said, you know, you can't tell anybody I'm playing this for you. I'll get fired. He said, I had American Idiot, Jesus of Suburbia, Holiday Boulevard, and Wake Me Up When September Ends. And wow. I remember I was sitting there listening to Jesus of Suburbia. And the part, the Dearly Beloved part, was the first time I ever listened to a Green A song and I started crying because I just couldn't believe his voice, the lyrics, the melody, everything was so perfect. The only time still probably to this day that hearing a Green A song for the first time brought me to tears and him and his buddy were cracking up. They said, dude, you really love Green A, huh? I said, you have no idea how much this means to me that I'm listening to this right now with you. Like, oh my God, you know, and I couldn't had, he couldn't give me the CD. So I had to just live my life the next few weeks waiting to hear it again, you know? So yeah. uh, it wasn't until it leaked on Green Day Community a couple of days before the album came out that I got to hear the album in full. And uh, it did leak. I know we're going to talk about all the, the shows I went to. I saw Green Day play at Henry Fonda Theater. It was the first time they debuted the album in full, September 16th, 2004. And in their minds- Before the album came out. Yeah. In their minds, no one had heard it yet. I don't think they knew that it leaked. So I knew a lot of the words already because I was listening to it nonstop. So I remember trying my hardest not to sing along too much because I'm always in the front. I didn't want them to see me and think I like stole the album and leaked it online myself or something. So (laughs) I just remember like, you know, I think it was a really cool experience for me because like I knew the song sort of. So it was really cool to see them live versus other times I've seen Green A debut new songs. I've never heard them. And so you're kind of just standing there. You don't really know what to do. So mm-hmm. I had heard the album in full a couple of times and then I got to see them play it live before it even came out. That was pretty cool. How long before the album came out did it leak? <laughs> Just was it a couple, couple weeks? A couple oh, days. Oh, a couple days. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's rad. Probably, okay, probably so, a day or two before. So it wasn't like Acceptance Phantoms where it came out six months before. No, or, or like whatever it ended up being. Warning leaked on Napster. Really quick to go back. I went to a MTV first listen Green Day when I was 18. That's like the coolest thing I'd ever done at that point with Green Day. I was right in the front, no barricade, played a bunch of songs for us. Somebody at that event stole one of the CD copies of Warning because they were letting us all listen to it in a room alone before anybody else in the world. And some, you know what, stole it and leaked it on Napster. <laughs> oh, dude. The Warning was actually out on Napster a couple of weeks before it came out also. Dang. And that was probably yeah. early on in that trajectory of albums leaking, mass public getting a hold of it. I mean, Metallica were right. Everybody hated Metallica, but they were right. They knew what was going to happen. They tried to prevent the entire world from changing with music and no one believed them. And they all thought they were just being 
you know, mean. Yeah. And money hungry in certain respects. And maybe it was inevitable that it was going to happen no matter what with yeah. file sharing and MP3s and the ubiquitousness of files on the internet and being traded and things like that. But you're right. I think that changed the landscape of music. And there's probably a lot of music that we didn't get because of that, especially yeah. over like- the next 15 years. You know, Metallica can afford to have their album leak, but Game Time probably cannot. So you would want people to go buy your album. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it became a bit of a discrepancy because you have some bands who would be just fine with illegal downloading and some small labels being decimated by it a few years later. So a lot of your listeners probably don't know what Napster is. I want to bore them. Maybe 30 plus, no Napster. I don't so, think 25, uh, no Napster. Or 25 to 40, really. I mean, because a okay. lot of my friends, I'm 37. <laughs> Good. Everyone I meet is like 23. So I'm glad you're like close to my age. That makes me feel better. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. We're only yeah. like a year and a half apart, which is cool. Yeah. What are your thoughts about cigarettes and Valentine's? Do you think there's a lost Green Day record somewhere out there that never was? No. So John Roker, who uh, did Live Freaky, Die Freaky, he also did Heart Like a Hand Grenade. The American Idiot Making of documentary, which everybody needs to go see if they haven't seen it before. I think it's on mm-hmm. iTunes. You can, you can you know, watch it on YouTube. A couple of years ago, actually, he I think he posted a photo. He had a burnt CD of all these songs that were supposed to be on the album. And so he legally wasn't allowed to put ones into the movie that he released years later that didn't mm-hmm. make it on the album. And he had some on there like uh, Rochambeau, which became a network song. And uh, The Pedestrian, which became a Fox for a Hot Tub song. So I think that a lot of those songs just became side project songs, honestly. I don't okay. think that. I think that, okay, so they made Warning. Rob Cavallo told them, this isn't good enough. So they got rid of Rob Cavallo. They said, we think it is. We're going to produce the album ourselves. That's why he's not technically the producer on that record. So it didn't do well. So they came to him again with Cigarettes and Valentines. And I think he said, this isn't good either, you know. And so they probably agreed this time and just said, okay, we'll, we'll do, we'll try again. We'll do something better, you know? And that's when they came up with American idiot, even the song cigarettes and Valentine's, which later came out. That's not really that good of a song. I don't think so. If that was a representation of the record, I think it would have just been okay. You know? Yeah. That's a good point. I do like that song for what it is, but I don't think it's a standout track amongst anything compared to American idiot. I think it fails in comparison to everything that is on American idiot. Yeah, for sure. And there's a couple other ones that were on that his, everyone's so mad that he never leaked the songs, John Roker, because there were ones on there that we've still never heard. We probably never will, you know? Yeah. But I think I've seen Mike mention maybe in interviews that they might use some of those ideas or transform those songs into something that was else my, at some point. That was, that was my interview. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I've been following you a long time, Ross. I'm a true fan. Thank um, you. Well, yeah. yeah. I, well, when I went to Storytellers, they let me ask a question. And so my question was, can you tell us some of the songs that didn't make it on that record? And so all they said to me were cigarettes and Valentine's waste away and drop out. And that's why I brought that up in the mic interview. And he confirmed those titles again. And he said, sleepyhead was like another song that didn't make it on the album or whatever. So they're out there somewhere, but nobody has them apparently. Okay, cool. Maybe we'll hear some iteration of them someday. And American Idiot, 
the title track touches on the political landscape of the time. I mean, it's a political record. I think a lot of people would argue that it's politically themed at the very least, or there's political themes that are strewn throughout the record. It's written of the time, but I think there's something timeless about it as well, because I feel like, I mean, even just the parallels, we literally just got out of Afghanistan. I know they were commenting on going to war a year previous to that in 2003. It's kind of hard to believe that 17 years later, we're pulling out in the way that it happened. But there's also a feeling of disenfranchisement, disillusionment, similar themes in other Green Day records in general. Did the lyrics stick out to you at first? Did you connect to any of the lyrics or the lyrical themes on this record? Whenever I listened to Green Day, I'd always felt like they were reading my diary. If I had a diary, I was always able to relate my life at the time to their music, almost in a, in a, in a freaky way. You know, my friend Chad, who's been a fan as long as I have, we have that joke. We always say, like, how do they know? Because it almost seems like they're your best friend and they know every single thing you're going through. Even if you haven't told anybody, somehow they know. And you could always find something in the lyrics to relate to. So American Idiot, for me, I wasn't really a political guy. I'm still not. For me, that album came out when I, you know, I finished college. I had an option. I could either move back home and work with my dad or move to L.A. and try to pursue my dreams. And so to me, that album was like me you know, leaving home literally, and trying to pursue something when everybody else around me thought I was crazy, you know? And that was the mm-hmm. way I related to that album, you know? I don't really, sure. I, don't, I wasn't really looking at it in terms of like a political standpoint because I'm just not a political guy. I'm still not, you know? Okay, cool. So yeah, the lyrical themes, more so of like being introspective, trying to find your place in the world. Exactly, uh, which is the Green Day's message is always be an individual, don't do what everyone else does, you know, be yourself. So yeah. Uh, so I feel like that was just a continuation of their message, which is probably best expressed in minority, you know, the song to be yourself, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's probably my favorite song on Warning. And Warning is one of those albums too, where I feel like I like it for what it is as time moves on, but it's yeah. still probably my least favorite of their catalog, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Father of all <laughs> is clearly my least favorite, but we'll talk about that towards the end. Okay. Yeah, that's fair, man. So we've already covered, do you remember listening to the album for the first time? You listened to the whole thing, the leaked version. And then do you remember purchasing it and listening to it that way and going through the lyrics and everything? Yeah, I used to buy, uh, they don't make these anymore. Green Day, that was the first time they released, you know, like a book version of the album yeah. where, and that's what became the musical, you know, like he had like different like letters in the book and stuff. And it was almost like a Bible in a way. And so I would yeah. keep that next to my bed. I would joke to my friends. It was like my Bible. And I would sit there every night and read the lyrics and read all the notes <laughs> in between. Yeah, it was definitely way cooler having a real CD versus having the crappy internet quality of the album. And I remember a lot of things about it. I'll go through it quickly. So ironically, I kept saying that Billy Joe, when I was young, reminded me of Pee Wee Herman. I thought he was just being silly. I didn't realize till years later, he was just on drugs the whole time, you know, like in the 90s. <laughs> That's why he was being yeah. so crazy. But Pee Wee Herman... His big catchphrase is, that's my name, don't wear it out. So I thought it was so funny and ironic when Billy Joe ended up saying that in St. Jimmy at the end of the song. Yeah, I just thought that was so funny to me that all those years I thought him like parallel to Pee Wee and he says that in the song, you know? Yeah, Super that's funny. amazing. I didn't think about that, but you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah that's incredible. Yeah, that's I wonder his catchphrase, that's my name, don't wear it out, you know? <laughs> I wonder if that was influenced by that. I think so. He's like 10 years older than me. He must have grown up with Pee Wee also. Yeah. So when I heard Homecoming, I still believe this. I like it better than Jesus of Suburbia. I don't. I really? like the melody. I like the lyrics. I like the melodies. I was so excited the first time I heard it when I heard Mike Dirt singing because before that he had only sang lead on Outsider, the uh, Ramones cover that they put mm-hmm. out uh, in the Warning era, and then in Governor. 
American Idiot yeah. B-side, but that song is, you know, it's kind of like a network song. But mm-hmm. Green Day lead was basically just Outsider. So I remember the first time hearing that and freaking out. And then Trey comes on and I freaked out even more. I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing they've ever done. There's all three of them singing like, you know, their own parts of the song. And yeah. really cool. I still love this. I get excited every time I hear this. I don't know who came up with this. Probably Rob Cabal. That's why he's a great producer. But that, that last part where Trey says, I haven't drank or smoked nothing in over 22 days. And then you hear in the background, don't want to be an American idiot. Like bringing it all together. I don't know who came up with the idea to put that back in at that part. But that's every time I go, I get so amped up hearing that, you know? That's such a cool idea. It's a nice through line for the entire album. You know, Little things like alive. that. And, you know, and yeah. I got the, I got, when the vinyl came out a year or two later, you know, I wasn't a big vinyl person until later in life. I didn't even realize this until a year or two later when I got the American Idiot vinyl, that that part before Mike Dern starts singing about watching Spike TV on the vinyl version, you hear him flipping through the channels and you hear different bits and pieces of what he's watching. But you don't hear that oh, on the wow. CD version. That's you crazy. Go back, I didn't know that. You got to go back and check that out. Dude, I definitely will. That's really cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, that's little stuff like that. Those little details. I mean, oh, yeah. the record sonically, I was listening to it. It had been a while since I'd listened to the whole thing because I have just a massive Green Day playlist and song shuffle in and out when I'm listening okay. to music and stuff. But I listened to it in totality and I just, I thought, man, this record still sounds so good sonically. I feel like Billy Joe's voice might sound the best on American Idiot. I love how his voice has matured over the years, but it's just ear candy. The recording's amazing. The guitars sound incredible. The drums still are very uh, punchy and they pop right out of the mix. I, I just love I it all. Th- I don't think you'd ever admit it unless someone brought it up in a conversation, but from warning to American Idiot, I think a thousand percent he took vocal lessons. Yeah, he probably did you, in that time. You listen to him singing on like Macy's Day Parade and waiting, it's good. But when you hear American Idiot, the album, it's like 10 times better his voice, you know? It will yeah. night and day. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily because of trickery in the studio or no, anything, no. because it was only a four year period. I think he just became a better singer and a better songwriter. I think, he got, I think he got, I think he must have got some vocal lessons to learn how to sing like that. Cause that was what blew me away. I said, this is like really good. Like, you know, like you said, he's actually singing. There's no longer like a hint of like a British punk voice. It's like a yeah. real powerful singing voice. Going back to the British <laughs> accent. I think David Spade one time on SNL, he made fun of Green Day. And he uh, made it seem, he, he kind of insinuated that they were from Great Britain. And he yeah. like even did the British accent. He was basically mocking them. And that made me think they were from Great Britain too. And then I found out that they were an American band and he was just poking fun at them. But he, he, he said it once in an interview years ago. He said, I, he, Billy Joe said, he said, I sing like a British guy impersonating an American impersonating a British guy. So he, <laughs> he acknowledged that he did that, that. That was what he was doing at the time. Yeah. And so many bands followed suit after that. What was your initial reaction? to hearing Jesus of Suburbia, just the fact that it was such a long song and it was almost their version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Was that jarring at first or was it thrilling? Well, besides when I cried, like I already told you, no, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, there, there's not like a, there's no song on the album I don't love. And it just, you know, my jaw was just open the whole time from track one to track 13, the first time ever. I still remember sitting there like dead. What, like, what did I just listen to? This is insane. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I still do that now. I can't listen on shuffle. Like you just said, like if one song comes on, 
that's it. I either have to play the whole album or I have to skip the song. I can't just listen to Are We The Waiting randomly out of context. <laughs> yeah, that would be a random song to listen to, Are We The Waiting. That's almost like the transition yeah. into St. Jimmy. I listened to Jesus of Suburbia when I was listening to the whole album yesterday, and I couldn't help but think that the entire song is chorus after chorus after chorus. There are clearly lines in there that would work as verses and things, but I feel like yeah. every melody is so strong. It just feels like one chorus after another. It's just a nine Love. minute song full of Green Day choruses. And I'm just obsessed with that song. What are your thoughts on Billy Joe saying that that's the best Green Day song or that's his favorite Green Day song? I mean, it's a good song. If you had to pick one, that's not a bad song to pick. I think my, you could argue my, that that's the best. My favorite song of all time is the last song on the album. What's her name? And that really says something because I don't usually like slow songs. I don't necessarily love Wake Me Up. I don't really love When I Come Around, but there's just something about what's her name, the lyrics, the tempo, everything. It's just haunting. Yeah. I just like that. Just whenever I hear that, every time I say, yep, this is my favorite Green Day song. And second place would probably be having a blast, believe it or not. Brad. Very cool. Yeah. yeah dude. Another that's, one of those songs awesome. where I just love everything about it. I just think it's like one of the most perfect songs ever written by anybody. Yeah, I would concur for sure. Yeah. That was one of the reasons I wanted to name my podcast that just having a blast to give the homage to my favorite record of all time. Great. Yeah, I love everything about that record. Very cool. Okay. So What's Your Name is your favorite non-single, but it's also your favorite Green Day song of all time, which is I think so. really cool. Yeah. I think that's my favorite non-single track on American Idiot. I love all the songs, but I think that's my favorite non-single track. If people ask me, and I've got a friend who I've had for years and that's his favorite song too. I may throw this back in the section where we were talking about it, but you got up on stage as well. And that was during the American Idiot run, right? That was during that tour. Yeah. I I made a list. I think you want, you were going to ask me about all the the shows I went to for that era, right? Yeah. So I'll try to, I'll I'll try to run through them leading up to that one. So I saw the Henry Fonda show in LA where they played American Idiot in full. I believe a couple days later, they played a Jimmy Kimmel Live. I went to that. I don't know which came first. I think after that was Green Day and Long Beach with Newfound Glory and Sugar Cult. I love both those bands. So that was a great show. Then I think the last thing I did that year was I went to see them at K-Rock Acoustic Christmas in LA and they played American Idiot in full again. So that was cool. So at that point, I had seen it twice in concert. Then And once acoustic? No, both times, full band. Oh, okay, cool. I thought you, played, uh, you said they played an acoustic K-Rock show. Oh, well, they call it that, but no one really plays acoustic. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, cool. So then at the, the end of the year, I went to the last call with Carson Daly in New York. One of my old listeners is related to Carson Daly, so she got us in. And uh, that's where I, I gave Billy Joe the pin, the DJ roster pin that I showed you on video where he wore during Letterbomb. And then the next year, 2005, I went to see them, I believe once in San Diego. I have no recollection of it, but it sounds like something I would do. I also saw them play (laughs) at at Storytellers, where they did the album in full again. And then the two shows at the Home Depot Center. They did two days. One day Against Me opened up. The other day, Flog and Molly opened up. And both nights, Jimmy World opened up. The first night, October 8th, I did get on stage to play Knowledge. I wasn't very good. Thankfully, somebody I was friends with had a camera at the time because this is 05. Not many people had any kind of anything to prove you were on stage. And she has a good, you know, 60 second video of me on YouTube. That was a really cool moment like you. I don't really remember anything about it because like you said, it's just so shocking at the time what you're doing. I just remember, wow, what the heck? Like I'm on stage with Green Day. Like finally, after trying every show since Nimrod tour without getting any luck, I finally got called on stage. And then- uh, Did he kiss you? He did. It's on video. (laughs) <laughs> and, then, awesome, uh, and then two days after that 
I went to see them open. Uh, I saw them at the Wiltern. They played American Idiot in full again, and the network opened up. So I literally saw the network open up for Green Day, and people That's were booing so them. Rad. People were booing them. No one knew who they were. Only super fans like me knew what they were watching. So wow. they played. It was amazing. And then Green Day played. So I was lucky enough to see American Idiot in its entirety four times in my life. And then the last thing I went to that year was Carson Daly New Year's Eve in LA, where they played outside at LA Live. And that was great because that was like a cool set list. They did like Pasolacqua and Holden Caulfield. Like they didn't just play hits, even though it was like for television. And we got to hear the sound check. We didn't get to see them physically. They were right around the bend. You know, it was super clear because we were very close. And they did Favorite Son in sound check and Having a Blast and Sassafras Roots and all these songs that I've never seen them actually play, but I got to hear it technically in sound check. I count those as seeing it live, even though I didn't see them physically doing it. They were playing it in sound check. So That's I don't know how many, I don't know how many concerts that is named, probably 10, 11 things, whatever they did in LA in that time frame, I went to basically or San Diego, if I could drive there, you know, I would drive there and do that also. So I got to see the album in its entirety four times. Most people have never even seen it once. So I'm very happy I got to do that. That's incredible, man. Those are memories yeah. to be cherished for sure. That's so cool. That's really rad. And I'm sure you were really championing them around that time. You were probably stoked <laughs> the fact that your favorite band was my only, my only essentially band. having their second coming, but revitalized their career, revived their career. What, what are your I, thoughts I, about I mean, that? Yeah, I mean, I made, I made a lot of new friends along the way. You know, I, did, I moved to LA, I didn't know anybody. So waiting in line at concerts, I made a ton of friends that I'm still friends with to this day. You know, comparing Green Day stories, seeing their Green Day, you know, hearing their cool experiences, talking about our favorite songs. I made a lot of cool friends that I'm still close with now from those early Green Day shows in California. That's awesome, man. It's like a community. I and that's, that's really cool. you know what? And that's, uh, you know, one of the number, one of the top three reasons I moved to California from New York was for the Green Day shows because I knew that's where they were based and that's where they were going to play the coolest stuff. And I was right. Yeah, you were. It was a good call for sure. I mean, yeah. being from Oakland and being from California, they're going to be yeah. playing there the most. That's the only thing I'll miss since I moved is, you know, that I definitely saw them play some of the smallest 50 person rooms, 100 person rooms, television shows. But, you know, I don't want to pay $4,000 a month to live there to hope that they play a show randomly once a year, you know? So that is fair. Yeah. That's understandable for sure. Yeah. And you saw the long shot play too, right? I saw the, okay. I'm trying to collect my thoughts. So I saw long shot play seven times. Wow. So, I mean, I know we're running out of time, so I'll try to sum up some of my thoughts. So after American idiot came 21st century breakdown, another Mm -hmm. good album. I know Billy Joe said it drove him crazy trying to put those songs out because he knew the, the immense pressure that they had. I think it worked. I think the album is, is almost as good as American Idiot. Some days I almost like it better. That's how good it is. Here's what happens. I talked about this before on a different show. So a lot of people got into Green Day during American Idiot. And that's the Green Day they loved. Rock opera, those kind of songs. 21st Century Breakdown, kind of similar. You know, a lot of similar sounding songs. I think, I say this all the time, the trilogy is the last great records that Green Day have made as Green Day. And nobody likes those records. I think it's because a lot of these people got into Green Day at American Idiot and they wanted them to continue to make that album. Just like people wanted Insomniac and Nimrod to sound like Dookie. Mm -hmm. So when Green Day went back in the studio and made all these different sounding songs, I think a lot of kids gave it one listen Maybe not even one listen because, you know, people's attention spans nowadays with like YouTube and, you know, hearing one song and going to the next on Spotify. I think they heard all love and they said, what is this? This isn't an American Idiot type song. And I don't even think they gave it a chance to the other songs. I really believe still to this day that out of 37 trilogy songs, 
35 of them are perfect. I love Stray Heart, X-Kid, Stay the Night, Rusty James, Brutal Love, Wild One, Kill the DJ, Dirty Rotten Bastards. Every song, for the most part, minus two I don't love. And no matter who I talk to, if they're of a certain age group, they always say, ew, you like the trilogy? Oh, I've only listened to it like twice. Like Those songs suck. But they don't suck. I think these people just didn't give them a chance because they wanted Green Day to continue to make what they were used to, you know? And yeah. Billy Joe took it to heart. As you saw, he, after the trilogy tour ended, which thank God I got to go to like four of those and see those songs live, never played a trilogy song again. But what made the long shot so great and why I went to seven shows is because Billy Joe, this is what I think happened. I don't know. This is just my opinion. So mm -hmm. I think he took it to heart that the fans didn't really respond to the trilogy. And I think when he made Revolution Radio, he tried his hardest to make a Green Day sounding record. He reused a lot of melodies and lyrics. I'm sure you'll agree. And it was mm -hmm. the first time in my life he disappointed me. I said, I don't believe he really loves this album. And I don't think he even wants to be doing this kind of music. I think he feels like he has to. And you notice how Rob Cavalli didn't produce it. I, no one produced it. They did it yeah. themselves. And guess what? Everybody loved it because he gave them what they wanted. It sounded like those kinds of songs. So when yeah. the Longshot record came out, it blew me out of the water. Here I was disappointed with the Revolution Radio. And then he comes out with Longshot, which in my opinion is what I think he wanted to make after the trilogy. It's similar. The lyrics are deep. He's actually talking about what he's going through at that moment in his life. And I really connected to it again. So how stoked was I when I went to see Longshot and he was playing trilogy songs on that tour. They did Stay yeah. the Night, Fell for You, Missing You. Like what? Oh my God. So I went to seven of those shows because not only do I think the Longshot record is perfect from start to finish, even though it's not even supposed to be like a real serious project, but they were also playing trilogy songs on that tour. Yeah. Oh my God. So, I love all the B-sides too. Everything is great. Devil's Kind, even though that was from a movie, that was great also. You know, a lot of my friends agree with me that are older, that Revolution Radio is not their favorite either. They didn't connect to it either. They really did. They agree with me that it felt kind of forced and they threw Ordinary World on there, which is from the movie, you know, really shouldn't even be on the record. And then I think I love when they try new things. It's not always going to work. Father of all didn't work. I appreciate that they try to do something different, but I just, I just don't go back to it. You know, the lyrics are, I think, nonsensical. I don't think he's really singing about anything. Honestly, that like, I think he's just making stuff up. And I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that was pressure to make something different again, or if he just had nothing to write about because he already used all of his good content on the long shot record or Butch Walker was a yes man and didn't know when to tell him that something wasn't that good. But I really just don't like that record. And I think a lot of people agree <laughs> and that they went on tour and they didn't play any songs from it, you know? So I guess they realized that no one was really into it either. So I'm yeah. happy that I got the long shot record. Because if not, it would have been nine years at this point since my favorite band put out anything I really loved. And that would have been really upsetting to me because before Revolution Radio, I loved everything. Morning, like I said, mm -hmm. I didn't love it, but it was still good. But Revolution Radio was the first time I scratched my head and said, huh, this is the new album? This doesn't sound like, you know, anything spectacular to me. And I still feel that way. And, you know, people get really mad at me on the Internet when I say that. It's like, oh, my second favorite album after Dookie. Or oh, it's my third favorite album after American Idiot. You know, but yeah. at least that's, 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 I, 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 my point is I appreciate them trying something different on Father of All. I just think 
it didn't work that time, you know? Yeah. And I feel like one of the reasons sonically it sounds so different is because of Butch Walker, just the fact that it was a new producer and Butch Walker has particular sound, especially the last few years, you know, he's really into that Motown Brit rock sound. It sounded like Green Day meets Arctic Monkeys to me. It almost had that flair and that vibe and it has that Motown influence. And I kind of wonder where they're going to go from here with it. You know, and I think, I'm kind I, of like you. I'm a, a trilogy apologist. I loved the trilogy. I'm with yeah. you on there. There's so many songs on there that I listen to all the time. I revisit those records all the time. And I think some of my friends who are huge Green Day fans, they think that maybe like what you were saying, maybe there was some songs that could have been left off as B-sides or maybe even as a side project song, like a network song or something or sure. a Foxborough song. But I think there is some incredible songs on the trilogy. And I think that those three albums in particular get overlooked. And one of the reasons I think maybe due to the fact that the way they rolled it out, the marketing in general, trying to well, do yeah. three albums back to back. And then he went to rehab at the same time. So they couldn't really do anything to promote it, you know? Right. Yeah. Put a so damper I, I, on things. But you know, if you ever watch the videos of Oh Love when they play it live, everybody was singing along. People connected at the time. And then they just kind of like, I don't know what happened. The, the band just stopped playing it. Yeah. Also, I think that maybe after so many albums, he doesn't know what to do with Green Day anymore. So the network put out their second album last year, and that's mm-hmm. supposed to be a joke. And I think that Fentanyl on the album is one of the best songs he's written in 15 years. And that's a network song. That's yeah. one of those songs where I said, wow, kind of like Rochambeau on the first network album. I said, this could be a real Green Day song. Why did he throw it away on a network album? I love that song. I listen to it almost every day, even on, on my yeah. vinyl. I don't know why. The second I heard that when they released it on the EP before the album, I was like, oh my God, this is insane. And then I love that song. And the last song on the album, The Art of the Deal, was supposed to be on Father of All, and they left it off the album. They were like, oh, let's take a really good song and not put it on the album for some reason. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I read an interview a couple weeks before the album came out, and they were really pushing that song, and then they dropped it and put it on the network album. (laughs) So it's like, why would they take a good song and not put it on Father of All? It's so weird. I just think that the problem is that they're releasing all these songs now, and they're not that great. Pollyanna and the Here Comes a Shock and the see I already forgot the new one I would never do that before. Holy Toledo, yeah, these are songs that back in the day would be the you would go buy a CD single for the actual single and those would be the B sides. So they're releasing B sides as singles and I think people are looking too into it like these are new Green Day songs and they're getting their hopes up and everybody seems to be disappointed. But I'm like aware of what they're doing. I understand these are not supposed to be like the next Boulevard. They're probably like shenanigans type songs. So I don't like get too excited anymore when they say Holy Toledo out now. I know it's going to be okay, but I'm not going to have my mind blown, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're right. Yeah. And I think internally, that's how I was viewing it too. Just kind of one-off songs that maybe were besides yeah. from father of all sessions. And then where do you think they're going to head from here? Do you have any ideas? I there's, know we're speculating, but there's two ways to go. Unfortunately, when they're, when you're a band that's been around this long and done everything, there's two things you can do. You can never make a new album ever again, like a lot of these bands do that are, you know, 10, 20 years older than them and just play the hits and you're, you know, at giant arenas and stadiums. And that's not very fun. Or you can put out new music all the time, but it may not be that good. I think that he should wait until he actually has something to write about. I think maybe, uh, this is all speculation. I think that they signed with Crush Management, you know, their new management company. And Crush said, we're going to do this Hella Mega Tour. We're going to get you on all these things, but you need to have something new to promote. So I think maybe they, you know, he felt the pressure to just hurry up and make an album. And maybe that's mm-hmm. why it wasn't that good. 
I think he has nothing to write about at the moment. I think they should be allowed to take their time and actually write a real meaningful record. And I hope that happens. Will they make another Dookie and American Idiot that big? Probably not. And I don't think they really need to. I just want them to do, I guess I want to believe him. When I hear the Longshot record and I hear the trilogy, I believe that he's really happy with what he is putting out there. I don't believe that they're happy, but what do I know? Maybe he thinks that Holy Toledo is the best song he's ever written. I have no idea. But I'm sure he doesn't. He's probably not that special about songs anymore. It's kind of like when you become a songwriter, you don't want to get too romantic about the songs you're writing because the hope is that you write more, you know, or that you write better. Yeah. You know, and he's written so much stuff over the years. He doesn't want to think. I mean, can you imagine the pressure if you're like every song has to be as noteworthy as Boulevard of Broken Dreams? I mean, you drive yourself insane. Immense pressure. And you have Dookie fans, you have Kerplunk fans, you have fans from all these different generations that want you to do a certain thing. And it's like, well, what do you do? So I think he does yeah. what he wants on the side projects and he does what he thinks he has to do on Green Day. And that's where I think that that's what, that's what kind of is a bummer. Like, I think if that long yeah. shot record was done with Green Day in a real studio with a real producer, I think that could have been a huge album. Love is for Losers, the song is all like fucking is great. It's insane. When they did yeah. do that song is the first song from his new project. And I heard he just recorded all the instruments himself. I couldn't believe it. Even that song is the first single. I was like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. This is insane. How good this is, you know? Yeah, I loved Long Shot. There was part of me that felt like maybe he wanted it to sound kind of sure. boxy and like the replacements, you know, like yeah, came yeah. from the 1980s and stuff. But I, I'm in total agreement with you. If they had done that with Rob Cavallo, I think it would have been really special. And I think it's special for what it is. And I really love it. Yeah. And I loved the, the long shot. I'm kind of in agreement with you. I think what you said was was well put. I think this is what they need to do. And then we can wrap it up. I know we're running in time. I think he needs to wait until he has a full album of songs that he really loves. And then I think they need Rob Cavallo back. I think they do their best work with him. I think he really knows how to make them sound their best. He did the trilogy. He did Nimrod, Insomniac, Dookie, everything was, you know, up until 21st century breakdown. They got lucky that the Butch Fig was good because Kavala didn't work on that one. But look, yeah. Kavala didn't do Revolution Radio. It did okay. He didn't do Warning. It did okay. When he does a Green Album, it does great. I think they need him back. And I hope that that happens one day. He helps them shine. He gets the best out of them for sure. Oh yeah. And I I don't know if you have any American idiot questions before we go. Yeah. Well, the true testament is the American idiot album, him coming back to do that after warning. It's such a triumph. And like I said, it revitalized their career. It got them to basically exit the shadow that Dookie had. And I guess I just have one more question. This is kind of a fun speculation question too, but let's say hypothetically, this is something I talk to my friends about sometimes. American idiot doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. So let's say they didn't necessarily have that second coming where they exit the shadow and the importance and the cultural relevance of Dookie. What do you think the legacy of Green Day would have been? Where do you think they would have been? Would it have been more like a third eye blind situation where they would have coasted on one album for their entire career? I think they either would have kept making mediocre albums that didn't do well, or they would have broken up at this point. I think yeah. maybe he would have formed a new band like Longshot and just did that full time, you know? And just did I, always, I, I always say that, that I, I feel like one day... You know, I feel like one day Mike or Trey or both of them are going to be like, okay, we're over it. And he's going to go out there, Billy Joe, him and Jason White are going to go with their acoustic guitars. I would like this and go on their own little tour. Maybe they'll have a fill in drummer. Maybe not. I would love for just, you know, a stripped down Billy Joe and Jason can join him if he wants, you know, that kind of thing for the next 10 years. If somebody in the band decides they want to leave one day, because I don't think you could replace Mike or Trey at this point, you know. But I think if there was no American Idiot, I don't know. It's hard to speculate. You're right. I don't know. I think they either would have given up if the next two, three albums didn't do well, 
or maybe they would have had a great record. I guess there's no way to tell, but aren't we glad that they had a hit album? Huh? <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. Man. Yeah. And, uh, Another I, classic, was, which is hard to do. I know there was one question I remember that we forgot to talk about. I, I did see the musical uh, in New York City with Billy Joe performing. And that was St. Jimmy. This, I saw Miss St. Jimmy. These are trained Broadway singers and he blew them all out of the water with his voice. And I wish there was a real professional recording of that whole musical with him in it. Cause there's not, he did duets like oh, with the uh, last night on earth. And that was like unbelievable. And his voice was just so great on that musical. And there's just really no solid recording of him besides the soundtrack that just has him in the cast on 21 guns and then some crappy YouTube videos. So that was my, yeah. my one wish is that they made a real filming of the whole thing and they never did. That's a bummer. That would be really cool to see, especially with him doing it with his voice there. Dude, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this. This has been really fascinating. I've been a yeah. fan of yours for 15 years or more at this point. That's great. And yeah. always appreciate your thoughts on Green Day. I always appreciate your fandom. You're no, a I mean, fan. Look, look, everyone out there knows American Idiot by now. So my only message to the people listening, like I said, is go back and listen to the trilogy. Start with Uno. Listen all the way through Trey. If you don't freaking go crazy for Kill the DJ or even Nightlife, then I don't know. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. I love creativity. I love trying new things. When I heard Nightlife for the first time with Lady Cobra on it, I thought that was the coolest thing he had ever done. Everybody hates that song. I thought that was so cool that he had done that, that he had had a girl on his track and they were like, you know, doing a song together. I love that song. Everyone hates yeah, it. I love it. And I love those records. I really love Stray Heart too. You mentioned Stray Heart. That's one of my oh, favorite songs from the trilogy. Unbelievable. The only song, like it I said- It would have been a huge I, single. Three, if I had to, really quick, if I had to leave off three songs, probably uh, Amy, Baby Eyes, and Little Boy Named Train. Only three songs I don't love. Like I said, I don't like slow yeah. songs. I don't like Amy, but I mean, come on. Rusty James, insane. Stay the Night, unbelievable. Kill the DJ, Let Yourself Go, Make Out Party. Yeah. Like these are insane songs. Wow, that's loud. Missing you. Stop, when the Stop when the red lights flash, Missing You. Drama Queen, I don't like either. I'd probably leave that one off too. But uh, that, was from 20, <laughs> that was actually from 21st Century Breakdown and they left that off. So they just threw it on Trey actually. But yeah, go back. All the having a blast listeners listen to the trilogy and uh find me on instagram at dj rothstar three s's and dm me and let me know what you think because there was one guy following me for a long time like you and i kept pushing the trilogy and he went back and he wrote me and said you are right i was wrong i went back and now i'm obsessed <laughs> so that's I awesome because maybe dude i think maybe there's something more, to it man i think yeah. you're right maybe if more people do that then they'll start playing it live if you watch those long shot shows youtube when they play Stay the Night, every freaking person is screaming every word. So people care. There are fans out there of those songs. I believe you. I'm going to go back and watch some of those long shot shows on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I want to see some of those trilogy songs live. I've never seen them. So, yeah, they're yeah. Go on my Instagram. If you scroll back, I, I filmed like all the shows. I went to you see clips. I, it was really cool. Thanks for having me, man. I can't wait Hell to yeah. promote this and tell people. Hopefully they check it out. Yeah, dude. And then yeah. one last thing. You're doing some interviews again, right? You're doing your show. Every you interviewed Adam not too long ago. I'm helping out my friend Steve at Bionic Buzz. And I've known Steve like almost my whole life. And so he has a really cool YouTube page, Bionic Buzz. And so whenever there's like a musician that we both like or a band with a new album, I'll jump on there. We did a Matches interview. We did uh, Zebrahead. Yeah, Adam from Homegrown, Radical Radical. So I'll pop in every now and then, but I'm not like, I, it's not like I, I want to do it all the time anymore because times have changed, man, you know? Yeah. I love it. I love sure. it and I miss it. If there was a live interview show, I'd sign me up. But right now it's all everybody talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's so in the true, meantime, I just keep going to concerts and I keep listening to music because that's what I love. Cool. I love it, man. Well, yeah. on that note, dude, thanks again. I really appreciate your time today. Have a great holiday with your family, man. I hope you guys get to celebrate a little bit and have a good time. Yeah, and let's try to take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay in let's touch, my man. 
Let's try to take a screenshot. Hold on, really quick. Ready? Look at oh, the yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah. I'm at yeah, like terrible because sure. it's like zoom. Hold on, ready? Wait. Yeah. It'll probably suck. If it looks good, I'll be like coming soon. All right. Thanks for hanging. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. We'll do another Green Day record. Oh, there's plenty more. All right. Talk soon, man. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. Have a good one. You too. It's going out to idiot America. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Hey.